In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. Let the light of your face shine upon me, watch over me, lead me, and guide me, that with you evermore I shall be. I adore you with profound reverence and ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. Mary, my mother, Saint Joseph, my father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So in the first conference, we talked about healing and, and the need to, to go to our Lord and, and to be really honest about where we are and, and the hurts in our life and, and to see that he is the one that came to give us everything that we never got or that, that we needed but we didn't get. To heal whatever needs healing. To make us a new creation in him. And, and the second kind of movement or the, the second kind of step on this journey to joy is, is repentance and and repentance also is going to look at those places where our relationship with our Lord has been ruptured or, or where there's obstacles to, to receiving his love completely. And, and it has more to do with looking at the way that we've hurt others because, because also, just like we could say, you know, my mother's name isn't Blessed Virgin Mary, my father's name's not Saint Joseph, my name is not Saint Sean Kilcally. And I'm not any of those peoples either. And I'm not Jesus. And, and I've fallen short in my life. And we've all fallen short in our lives. And, and our Lord constantly calls to repentance. And, and John the Baptist came to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and so repentance is, is fundamental to our conversion. And, and yet it's one of those things that I don't know if, is, if we always explain it very well and what it really means to, to repent and to decide, like, I never want to do that again. And, and, it, and again, it begins with a kind of radical honesty, kind of radical honesty before our Lord. And so there's two examples from Scripture that, that I want to use to reflect on, on this dynamic of repentance. And the first is the prodigal son, and the second is the Samaritan woman at the well. And so in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, Luke writes this. Then he said, a man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. 
So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who set, sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed. But nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here am I dying from hunger? I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. And so this son goes to his father and he says, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. And in other words, I don't want to wait around until you die. Like, I don't have enough patience for that. I'm still young and, and I just want it now. And I don't want to have to wait around until you die. We could infer a step further, like, Father, I wish you were dead so that I could get, along, get on with my life. And the Father, being a loving Father, does. He divides his estate between the two of them. And then we all know this story that he goes off and he squanders everything. And then he finds himself in dire need. And in the midst of the swine, he comes to a place of repentance. And he has that kind of radical honesty because he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would one of your hired servants. He recognizes the consequences of what he's done and, and that there are consequences for what he's done because he asked for his inheritance. Now the father gave it to him. That's it. And, and he doesn't deserve to be called the son anymore. And, and, and it's an interesting thing because he doesn't sort of go to the get to that place in his life and think to himself, the father is very merciful and I know that he's going to take me back into his home and so I'm going to go back home. You know, there's no presumption in him. There's no presumption in him. He doesn't think to himself, well, I know that I'll be forgiven so I'm going to go back. But instead, he recognizes what he truly deserves because of his actions. 
And I imagine him sort of coming to this place of repentance and kind of, you know, like we do, like coming, like having speeches in his head, you know, like, okay, what do I need to say? Like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I need to be upfront about what I've done. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Okay, so I need to be upfront about what I deserve because I know in the order of justice, that's what I deserve. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what I'm going to ask for. And, and so he goes back with that disposition of the heart. And the father sees him from a long way off. Which means that the father has always missed him. He's always missed him. And that's true about us, too, that in the midst of our sinfulness, the Lord misses us. Right? He misses us. It's not, and, and when we miss somebody, it's not sort of like, oh, that person should be here. And, and you know, like, because some, sometimes people don't really miss us. They have resentment against us for not showing up. And, and so when we actually do show up, they're not like, yes, you're home. They're like, why haven't you been here? Um, you know, like that might happen during the holidays. I don't know. It might happen. But the father's not like that. Like, he sees him from a long way off because he's missed him and he's longed for him. And the father realizes that he's not the one that, that died when the son said, I wish you were already dead. But the son died. And he gets to his father and he starts that speech and, and so, so he, he starts from that place of honesty. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he recognizes the consequence. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Stop. He doesn't get to finish. The father sort of interrupts. Verse 21, I no longer deserve to be called your son. Verse 22, but his father ordered his servants Quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him, but a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And, and so the father interrupts him and welcomes him and gives him more than he deserves. It gives him more than he deserves. And, and, and within the dynamic of relationship, the father gives an abundant mercy when the son in his heart is prepared to receive his justice. When, when the son goes to him in honesty about what he's done. And that's what we do when we go to the sacrament of reconciliation, when we go to confession. Like we go to the Father in a place of honesty. And that's why the church calls us to confess our sins completely and to confess our sins by number and kind to the best of our ability because it gives us the opportunity to say, 
this is exactly what I've done. And I know what I deserve. And then we have the disposition of heart to truly receive his mercy and to know what it is to be transformed by his grace and to know what it is to to stand before someone that we've offended and have them love us anyways. It's that kind of experience that leads to conversion. And when we experience our Lord in that way, John Paul II says that we cannot help but to live in a constant state of conversion, a constant state of transformation. And that state of transformation is built on repentance and recognizing who we are and recognizing what we deserve, going before our Lord in that place of honesty and then allowing him to speak into our hearts. You know, when we read on in the prodigal son story, It says, then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field and on his way back, he heard, as he heard the house, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him, He said to his father in reply, look, all these years I served you. And not once did I disobey your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, you slaughter for him the fatted calf. And so the the older brother has this interesting experience where he he also received half of the estate. So he also received the estate at that time. And he didn't go and, and squander it all. He stayed and he worked really hard. And yet, he didn't have that experience of his father. And perhaps because he had received half of his estate, he thought to himself, well, the father is treating me as if the father's already died, so like, he must be cutting me off. And, and he just stays and he grinds it out every day. And when he sees somebody else who receives mercy, he gets kind of angry about it because it doesn't seem fair. And the father says to him, my son, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. 
So the older brother also, he has to hear those same words from the father, my son. And to be reminded that he's always in the father's gaze, that that he's always with him. And there's room there, too, for him to actually have a kind of conversion of his heart so that the normal things that he does in fidelity, he doesn't do as a chore, but he does them out of love and moved by love. And there's a place of honesty that, that the older brother is being called to as well. And perhaps recognizing that, that he, even in his loyalty and his fidelity and following the commandments, wasn't living in the love of the Father. And this whole parable is spoken by Jesus to the Pharisees. And, and so it really is a story that's not so much focused on that younger brother, but on the older brother. Because the Pharisees are the older brother, who were always faithful to the law, but struggle in the area of mercy, and who struggle to love well. You know, that second example of repentance that that I want to reflect on is the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and so the Samaritan woman, she goes to the well in the middle of the day and, uh, and she encounters our Lord there. So a woman of Samaria came to draw a water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman asked, said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't even have a bucket and the cistern is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the cistern and drank it from it himself? with his children and his flocks. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. And the water I shall give will bring him to a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And so, so this woman goes to the well in the middle of the day. And, and why does she go in the middle of the day? Probably because she wants to avoid people. And there's some reason that she wants to be alone and avoid people. And she gets to the well and there's Jesus. And he says, give me a drink. And, and then she basically says, like, you're not supposed to talk to me. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Don't you know you're not supposed to talk to me? 
And then Jesus goes on to say, if you knew the one asking, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And then she says, you don't even have a bucket. Shut up. Like, don't talk to me. The one who drinks the water I will give will never be thirsty again. Oh, wait, that sounds good because then I don't have to come here in the middle of the day and I don't have to come back and I don't have to leave my home and I can just isolate and nobody has to see me. And I can be invisible. Give me that water always. Okay, go get your husband. It's such a fascinating response. Go get your husband. And then she kind of doubles back and she's like, well, I don't have a husband. No, you don't have one husband. You're right in saying I don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. I know who you are. Like, I know who you are. And, and this, this moment in this encounter where, like, she doesn't want to be honest, right? She doesn't want to be honest. Remember, like, repentance about honesty. She doesn't want to be honest. And our Lord supplies that for her, right? He supplies that for her. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. I know why you're coming here in the middle of the day. You're coming here in the middle of the day because everybody in town talks about you. And you don't want to be seen. But I see you. But I see you. And I know who you are. And that means that even though I know who you are, and I know all of your dirty laundry, I know all of your secrets, I know all of the things you're most ashamed of, I'm still offering you this living water. I'm still offering you this living water. And it's in that moment that, that she has an experience of knowing what she deserves and receiving something more. She knows what she deserves. Isolation. Being alone. I've wrecked my life. And yet our Lord shows up. And he wants to give her more. And then she goes and she proclaims the gospel and she says, come and show me some, let me show you somebody who's told me everything I've done. Right? And offered me living water. And in that one moment, he called her to repentance. He called her to Repentance. And so oftentimes in our life, we can have these things that we're really ashamed of, that we don't want anybody to know. We might have even gone to confession for them, and, and we've heard the words of absolution, and yet there's a part of us that holds on to that, and we still don't feel worthy, or we still don't feel like we're totally forgiven, or we think to ourselves, well, maybe our Lord didn't really mean that. And, and I know that I'm supposed to be forgiven, but I just don't feel like I deserved it, so I need to do something more in order to deserve it. We can have all of that kind of temptation that goes on in our hearts that keeps us from, that keeps us from receiving the love of our Lord. And our attachment to our past sins, our attachment to maybe it's self-hatred or self-condemnation or feelings of unworthiness, all of those things get in the way. And they're the places that we can get stuck. 
And so, so in this time of prayer, again, in much the same way, we can kind of go to those places and say, like, like what is our version of your husband in my heart? Like, what is it that, that I'm most ashamed of? What's the thing maybe... Maybe I've confessed it in the past. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I confessed it, but I wasn't really honest about it. I didn't confess it completely. And we can bring that to our Lord and and just say, like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and no longer deserve to be called your son. This is what I've done. And allow our Lord to respond. And allow our Lord to respond. And if we find ourselves in a place of struggle in the midst of that, then just stay with the struggle. And and that means maybe going back to our Lord and saying, okay, do you really mean it? Like, do you really mean it? Do you really want to forgive me in this place? And to just stay with him. until he breaks through all of that resistance. And we come to know that that he's known who you are. He knows who we are. And yet he continues to love us. He continues to pour his life out to us. And in that place, we have that gift of repentance that recognizes this is what I've done. This is what I deserve. And that's what we bring to our Lord. So that when he encounters us, there's no room for any kind of yeah, buts in our life. You know, the, the sort of like, yeah, but if you really knew how bad I was, you wouldn't be saying this and, and you shouldn't be talking to me and, and, and I don't deserve to be loved. And like all of that is gone because, because we start from that place of honesty. We recognize what we deserve. And then we hear the voice of our Lord. When he says, my son was dead and now he's alive again. Or my daughter was lost and now she's found again. And we come to experience his joy in our repentance. And then his joy is born in a very real and concrete way in our hearts.